Hey everyone, this is Les Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we're talking about your 0-2 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about why the Pistons offense has struggled so far, Sadiq Bey being one of the few bright spots for this team, and I have to issue a formal apology to Trey Lyles. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. What's up, Ben? Laz, just uh, thinking about how to find some silver lining out of these first two games. Yuck. Ugly yeah. stuff, man. Yeah, this is, uh, this is not... I mean, like, I'm, I'm excited for the season to start, but, like, not if all the games are going to be like that one, right? <laughs> So I guess we should start with the silver lining in that Cade Cunningham is not playing and he will be eventually. Uh, GM Troy Weaver appeared on 97.1, the flagship radio station for the Pistons, and, and earlier this week and in an interview said that uh, it is likely that we will see, well, I don't know, I don't have a, the quote directly in front of me, but he intimated that it is likely that we'll see Kate Cunningham um, in the second home game the Pistons played this season, October 30th, against the Orlando Magic. Um, is that is that close enough, Ben? Can we make it? What is it going to be, six more days without Cade Cunningham? I mean, I've been in this thing for how many years now? So I'll take another six days without too much concern. I mean, I've been watching the Pistons religiously for my whole life in the last decade has been pretty rough. So, you know, I can deal with it. I get people are disappointed for sure. Um, I don't quite understand some of the criticism about keeping Kate out, but certainly sympathetic to the disappointment and as am disappointed as anybody else. So, yeah, I mean, between now and then, hopefully they can right the ship at least a little bit and become a little more watchable than we saw uh, last night. But, I mean, I'd rather have him healthy and 100% than you know, just out there to satisfy curiosity, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we are in this for the long term, right? It has only been two regular season games. And even if Cade was healthy, they probably might still have lost both of those games. It was the first one. First game obviously would have been, uh, you know, maybe that's a win. Second game, definitely not so much. But uh, this is a long-term uh, situation. And so there's no reason to uh, rush the guy who is so important to the future of your franchise. Um, I think it is, I, I think it's finally, it's nice to finally get some honesty. Like we, we've been getting Dwayne Casey saying like, Oh, he's close. And it's like, we'll, we'll take it day by day with, without any real um, timeline. And so to get like, Hey, no, it's like, 
is like I, this is a, at the beginning of last week right so it's like hey it's going to be like another you know 10 days or so it's like okay like that i, I can buy right I, that makes things a little bit more easier to swallow um what was not easy to swallow though was the offense on on yesterday's game against the bulls um before the season Dwayne Casey said the offense is ahead of the defense and that was apparently a, a major understatement so ben What's the biggest issue that you saw with the offense over these first couple of games? The turnovers, which uh, they are, they have 31 uh, assists and 36 turnovers on the year. That's not good. Uh, B, all the posting up and isolation and the lack of ball movement. Or C, shooting 11 of 56 from three over the course of the first two games. What's the, uh, what's the biggest issue? That is some ugly, ugly stats. Yuck. Uh, they're obviously interrelated. Um, I think personally, I, th- I think fundamentally there's just a lack of playmaking that is sort of the root cause of, of all of that. Um, you know, I hate it when the Pistons get stagnant and they get into what you've talked about as posting up isolation, lack of ball movement. I mean, especially in the game last night on Saturday. So much just, you know, two or three dribbles past your teammate on the perimeter who pump fakes two or three dribbles, passes to the next guy, and around and around we go for 20 seconds. Um, not a lot of off-ball screening, uh, not a lot of player movement, um, and just resulting in difficult shots. I thought in the first game they, they, got, a, they got a little bit better. Um, the first game they had a few better looks than they got in the second game. They had more movement, a little more cohesion. Um, but, I mean, it's going to be super hard to overcome – any one of those things, you throw them all together, and oof, it's really going to be tough for them. I mean, if I have to choose one, 11 for 56 from three is going to be extraordinarily difficult for this team to overcome. Um, so I guess I'll take C, but really, I mean, it's it's all of them tied together, I think. No, absolutely. It's, it's definitely all of them tied together. They all feed into one another. Um, and we had this discussion like a couple weeks ago, right, about the spacing. And you made the excellent point about spacing is not an end. It's a means to an end. And what the spacing provides is um, like the thing you're supposed to be after. And the team, you know, placed such an emphasis on acquiring spacing or with uh, with guys who could shoot on the roster. And that's well and good. But to me, if, you know, we have all these possessions where, um, guys are initiating offense from like 20 feet in a post-up or in an isolation situation, then uh, the spacing doesn't matter as much because there's no there's no movement, right? There's, you know, five defenders looking at one guy dribbling, waiting for a, a move to come. And so there's no there's no reason to cause a, there's nothing causing like a defensive rotation, right? There's there's nothing causing the defense to have to like bend or shift in any way, which is how you get the the ball movement that you need to you know produce open shots, which would presumably mean you shoot better from three, and like that's how how all of those end up related. So I guess from a from a viewing perspective, I don't know which one is like actually like the worst thing. I suspect the coaching staff is going to harp on the turnovers, but like this is a young team. They're going to turn the ball over. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not crazy about the turnovers, but that's far from the the worst thing in my mind. But uh, yeah, just the, the lack of, you know, ball and player movement just 
and that, and that being like the intention of the coaching staff, right? Because we saw, we did, we didn't see the same level of like isolations and post-ups in the sec in the first game as we saw in the second game. And that seemed like, uh, and like the first three plays of the second game were like post-ups for Isaiah Stewart. And that, that seemed like an, a, an intentional thing to try and attack something that they had seen in the first game. And it's just like, you don't, you don't have the personnel for this, right? Like <laughs> this, this isn't going to work the way you want it to. It's like the, the Ben Wallace post-ups that they used to give him every now and again to keep him engaged. That's what it felt like. And the results were unfortunately not much better for, for beef this week. I mean, and, and I like what Stewart did in those post-ups. I just don't like the fact that like, if Isaiah Stewart is posting up on the left block, like it's going to be a shot or a turnover, right? Like I don't, He's like he doesn't have the playmaking chops to make anything else happen, and so it's just like the, the offense gets really predictable and stagnant. The defense knows what's coming, and yeah, it's just it was it was a mess. And so even though all of those issues are correlated, they are also related to the first thing we talked about, Ben, which is the absence of Cade Cunningham. So which of those three problems do you think Cade Cunningham fixes the fastest? Well, I think he's going to be able to contribute to B, which posting up isolation, lack of ball movement. To me, he gives you clearly another playmaker, um, especially Killian Hayes limited minutes and were the first two. And I think we'll talk about Killian later. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of dribble penetration, which, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, forces players on defense to rotate and move. And that's how you take advantage of space and shooter. So to me, that's the one he most readily addresses he's going to be a guy who commands attention uh, we've seen that he can do things off the dribble we, he can shoot his own shot off the dribble he can pass he can get to the rim and you know as we're talking about the three things that you identified are all going to be related to each other and look eventually shots are going to fall so i don't think Cade isn't you know he's not just going to magically make guys shoot better um, but i think the shots will start to fall and the fact that he, he's going to give them some playmaking options and, and keep the ball moving a little bit. I think it's going to, you know, it, it might not make the offense dramatically better from an objective offensive rating kind of perspective, but it'll certainly be uh, more fun to watch and more interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. See, that's interesting to me that you said the, the isolation and the lack of ball movement, not because Cade is not a great playmaker because he is, but because like my, when I was watching the game uh, yesterday, like my concern was that like when Cade comes back, we're just going to see him like also isolate because he was also really good at that in college. And, uh, and it, yeah, it just seemed like they would just like throw him in the rotation with Sadiq and Jeremy is like, okay, you get a like left block isolation possession now too. And it's just like, well, that's, that's less fun than uh than just like you know running some pick and rolls or getting some uh, dribble handoffs or you know trying to get some more off ball movement um and so i was I, i'm worried that when Katie comes back he's just going to get some isos too and like that that's not going to be great from a viewing perspective but so my answer was c right i think he fixes the the shooting um like so far and like the, like you said the shooting's going to come around right i think like kelly olenic has hit like two threes on the season um Sadiq Bay has we're gonna talk about Sadiq in a second. He's been uh struggling a little bit from three to, to open the year. Um, like we have a bunch of good shooters on this team, and Kate is one of them. And I think having um having a guy who can self-create good three-point shots will help uh make the three-point percentage rise. And so, like, yeah, but again, you know, Kate's gonna come back, the offense is gonna get better, hopefully, and then uh 
we won't be as dour in the first like 10 minutes of, of each of these podcasts. <laughs> um, one thing that has been really impressive though, Ben is the play of Sadiq Bay. I think Sadiq Bay has been the, like, I don't want to say the only positive thing that's been happening so far this season, but he's been the, the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, surprise in my eyes uh, as to like what's going on with him this season. Um, we, we see him on the block. We see him getting all the way to the rim. We're seeing uh, getting to to create for himself. He had 20, 20 points and sixteen rebounds in the second game against the Bulls. Um, the and like we you know we talk about the isolations, but the the coaching staff is confident enough in what he brings and and wanting to see like more out of him and letting him develop that skill that he gets to isolate, which is not something that he did at all last season. And so like that is that is progress. That is um, that is something a little bit different, but it's coming at a cost, Ben. Uh, Sadiq Bay is one of nine from three on the year. Um, how do we promote we like you and I have any control over what happens <laughs> with this team? <laughs> how, how, what do you how do you think we get to see a better balance between like what Sadiq Bay did last year and what he's trying to do this year, Ben? Well, I think first of all, I, th- I think three point shooting is inherently inconsistent. So Sadiq had these stretches as a rookie where, you know, he'd go three or four games where the three-point shot would disappear. So, you know, I'm willing to cut him a little slack, give us a couple more games before we worry too much about his three-point shot. Um, but I will say, if if he can find the right mix of being the catch-and-shoot uh, finisher, especially when Cade gets back, and being his own sort of playmaking, shot creator sort of weapon boy, he's way ahead of where I thought he would be in his second season. The thing that's really impressed me, Laz, and I don't know, maybe you've seen some of this too, but he's just had some crazy good footwork, right? Like Sadiq is not explosively fast or explosively quick, but he's very strong and his footwork and I think ability to sort of rock guys to sleep a little bit with that has been very impressive to me. So, you know, I want to cut him some slack. He's also rebounded really, really well. He's almost rebounding like a power forward, right? So it's like almost on defense, he and Jeremy sort of switch roles, right? Because they start out with Sadiq as the three in the lineup and, and Jeremy's technically the four, but Sadiq is almost playing more like a power forward defensively. So, um, I'm going to give him a break a little bit on the three-point shooting and hope that it levels out because um, I think maybe it's just a little bit of a cold streak. But, man, the, the playmaking, the footwork, um, the ability to get guys off balance and then sort of power through them, like all of that stuff is just way, way ahead of where he was a season ago and it's super exciting to me. No, absolutely. And, like, that is the way he's going to have to win in the NBA because of uh, like, because of his foot speed, right? He's not the, he's not the fastest guy, but he is really strong. And so to see, you know, longtime NBA veterans like DeMar DeRozan uh, just kind of like bounce off this guy mm-hmm. as he tries, as he finishes around the rim, like that is really impressive. And I don't want to downplay that because it's, it's really important to have another guy who can, uh, who can get you like good looks uh, from, you know, f- from the perimeter. Um, but uh, the, the Pistons really miss the, the 40% catch and shoot guy Sadiq was last year. Um, and I, w- I would hope, I was hoping he would take more threes as well this season, right? Like 
only quote unquote only nine threes through two games. I was hoping we'd see him take, you know, six or seven threes a game as opposed to just like the four or five we've seen so far. Um, and so I think, I think Cade coming back will help some of that again, as, uh, somebody else gets some of those isolation possessions, uh, not, you know, cutting Sadiq out entirely of that role, but, you know, just sharing the load a little bit. And I think, like you said, if, uh, Sadiq, well, Sadiq will make more threes eventually. I, I have confidence in the shot. I just, uh, I hope that the addition of another playmaker means he has to, you know, share that load, um, which makes him a more uh, efficient player, maybe a less, maybe like a slightly less productive player. I don't, I don't know if I expect Sadiq to average like 20 points a game and, and shoot, you know, uh, as many times as he did last night. But, uh, but yeah, I, I have been really impressed with what he's been offering so far and I like it. I just want to see, I also just want to, I also want him to do a little bit of more of what he was doing last season. And I think that'll be, that'll be good. Your point about the rebounding is is well made as well. Um, Sixteen rebounds from a small forward is just kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, nine in game one too, right? I mean, he's been yeah, no, he's been he, attacking the glass. Yeah, he's using this. He's using his tools to do what the team needs, right? Re, re, rebounding is a team weakness, and he's just going after it. So that's a good thing. Yeah, Jeremy Grant's also been better. Maybe not good, but better rebounding the ball. He's got 11 rebounds in two games. He's got eight stocks, eight steals and blocks in two games. He's uh, his, his level of engagement defensively is much better than it was the last time we like saw him last season. And so I've been really pleased with that. Uh, what have you been thinking about Jeremy Grant's play in these first couple of games, Ben? Yeah, it looked like uh, game two this week, I feel like, Maybe they game planned him really well. They being Chicago, because uh, they really took him out of what he likes to do. I, I felt like he isolated and settled more. Um, neither game, he didn't get to the free throw line really in either game, which is a little mm-hmm. bit disappointing. Um, game one, I thought he was much more in rhythm. The shot was falling a little bit more, and he really struggled in game two. But having said that, you talked about his defensive engagement that just jumped out to me in game two. Uh, four blocks, he just. He, he kind of reminded me of his Denver self, right? Just sort of all over the place defensively. And look, that's what I wanted out of him all last season. You know, be the number one guy, but still find ways to assert yourself defensively, right? Even if it's opportunistic, because you're not going to be the go-to scorer and the lockdown defender, but you've got all those physical, physical tools on defense. You've got to use them. And I think we saw some of that this week and, and that he's to be commended for that because, you know, that's an area where he can be a big difference maker again, even if opportunistically, because uh, there's just no one else on the roster that's got his physical tool set and ability that way. No, absolutely. I think, and I think the free throws will come, right? Um, I can think of like a couple of possessions in the second game that he probably should have gotten some free throws and didn't. And um, the, the isolation has not stopped him from attacking the rim. And so, like, that is what I'm pleased to see, right? As long as he's attacking the rim, I believe the free throws will come, and then, like, everything else kind of settles settles in. The The activity defensively has been great. Um, like you said, four blocks. He had a couple – he had, like, a couple steals in the, the first game as well and um, played – he did not – he was not, like, the primary defender on Zach Levine very often. I mean, that was like an intentional choice by the coaching staff. And I thought that was interesting, but it allowed him to take a different 
like off ball role and use his like length and uh, wingspan to kind of help from the weak side or to like gum up passing lanes. And I think like when you mentioned like what he was doing in Denver, like that is it, right? Like he was not necessarily um, this like amazing on ball stopper for, uh, for the nuggets, uh, but he was like really uh, disruptive by being like a, a nice team backline uh, defender guy. And I think he can continue doing that um, as well for the Pistons. It'll, it'll, that will also go easier when uh, Zach Levine, uh, when the Pistons don't play Zach Levine, right? Levine didn't have an amazing game in game two, but uh, yeah, it's kind of rough to watch the the first game. But yeah, well, yeah he, been... he, he was just Levine was just better than everyone in game one, right? Like he was, yeah, he was the reason Chicago won, and then he looked more human <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, what did you think of um, the late game offense, which was like the Jeremy Grant show in the uh, in the first game, Ben? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to be. <laughs> It's hard to be too critical of it because nothing looked like it was working all that well either game offensively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's if, if Jeremy Grant is your go-to scorer, and he clearly is right now, um, late game situations, that's when you sort of expect to go to your go-to guy, right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. kind of the definition of the word. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't mind it. Like, I don't mind that late in games. Um you know, still, I still like to try to get him the ball it, at in a position of advantage. I don't, I don't love isolations, but I mean, you know, Jeremy Grant to me, he's still got to prove that he's a max level guy. So, you know, give him those opportunities. Let him, let him prove that he he can be or or he's not going to be. In my opinion, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, next guy. Isaiah Stewart has played really great defense on uh, Nikola Vucevic in these first two games. Vooch is shooting 35% from the floor against the Pistons. Um, he's also, uh, sorry, Stewart is also averaging 10.10 rebounds a game. But Ben, he's only shot one three in two games, and he has zero free throws in uh, both games. So Ben, how do we get Isaiah Stewart some easier looks uh, offensively? Yeah, I, you know, I haven't minded that he's not shooting the ball a lot just mm-hmm. yet. Um, I will say that I feel like the point guard play has really not been strong. It's mostly been Corey Joseph. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that next. Yeah, it's mostly been Corey Joseph with a little bit of Killian Hayes mixed in. And, uh, you know, Corey, in my opinion, when he's at his worst, he's dribbling the air out of the ball, and he did that a lot. Um, so I, I, to me, it starts with point guard play. Um, you know, he's, Stewart still is not a big threat out of the pick and roll. Um and even if he were, I just feel like the point guards just aren't in sync right now. So I think it's got to start with improved point guard play. Um, and, you know, one three-point shot over two games is probably a little bit, you know, it's probably, you'd probably like him to see take one or two threes a game in rhythm mm-hmm. when he's open. Um, but but ultimately, you know, I'm, it's going to be hard for me to be too critical of Isaiah Stewart in the first two games. He's just kind of done his job, right? He's rebounded and defended really well. And uh, I, I'm personally I'm just okay with him being that opportunistic scorer where you know when the matchups get him 10 to 13 shots go for it when they only get him six to eight shots I think I'm okay with that and I think that's about where it ended up right I think seven shots in game two nine or ten in game one um but yeah I I think he's obviously going to be a guy who depends on other people creating looks for him and look as a team that wasn't happening very much at all. So a guy like Stewart is going to be one of the obvious ones who suffers as a result. No, absolutely. The Stewart 
um, has been kind of one of the main uh, victims of a lot of the isolation play, right? We saw uh, Sadiq Bey have like a really nice drop off to Isaiah Stewart early in the preseason, and we've seen some some relatively nice like interior passing um, to Stewart early on, but that has been very sporadic. And so I don't think, um, and like that has contributed to, you know, the lack of shot attempts from Isaiah Stewart. Um, I think there, and I think there have been from, from as far as like threes go, I, I, I agree. I would like to see him take like one or two per game. Um, I th- there were a couple of opportunities in the second Chicago game for him to get those threes up and he didn't take them. And that, you know, wasn't, I didn't love that, but like, I'm, you know, it's not the end of the world either. Um, yeah, it's just he's been, but he's been so good defensively that um, it, again, like it's hard for me to like really critique Isaiah Stewart. It's more of a critique of like what the team is doing around him, right? Like they need to, um, with better ball movement, with better point guard play, um, like I think we'll see Isaiah's involvement in the offense kind of creep up a little bit without necessitating any uh, post ups to to start the game, a la Ben Wallace. Point guards. We, we got to talk about Killian Hayes, Ben. Killian has two points and five assists in two games, and he has not recorded a minute in the fourth quarter this season. That is rough. Uh, people are very frustrated. Uh, Dwayne Casey sounded um, paternalistic, but like still like uh, a little bit uh, like uh, wary after the first game. We talked openly about uh, Killian needs to initiate contact and, and finish at the rim more often. Um, fans are really frustrated. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of frustration around Killian right now, Ben. Do you think when you watch Killian, do you think he's stagnated? Uh, do you think he's kind of the, the same guy he was in summer league and the same guy he was, um, in the second and like the last third of the season last year, or do you think he's regressed? Do you think he's gotten even worse? Well, two games, right? Tiny True. little sample size. Um, Clearly to me, he he does not look – so I'm thinking back to you mentioned the last third of last season, especially maybe those last eight or ten games, Laz, a season ago. He looked like he started to believe that he belonged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think his, his, his scoring and his shooting is still the weakest part of his game. So I'm not surprised to see him have a little bit of self-doubt around finishing – or shooting, um, given that, you know, it's pretty obvious that his shot is not where he wants it to be, quite obviously. Um, I thought he looked better in game one than he did in game two. Um, You know, obviously, he's only like one for 10 or something on the season. He's only put the ball in the basket once. Um, But he rebounded well, at least in game one. I thought he looked more active. I have to be honest, I'm really confused about the minute distribution. you know, Corey Joseph has not exactly been lighting the world on fire when he's been out there. Very true. Um, so to see him get so many more minutes, especially in the first game, and, and maybe there was some concussion-related concern happening there because I think he did he did take a shot to the head in game one and didn't really play again after that. But, yeah, Les, I mean, I don't want to say he's regressed because we're looking at two games, but um, – you know, it, it doesn't look like he's added the missing ingredient from a season ago yet. And so he, here's how I'm going to think about the next 40 games. And 
as I evaluate Killian Hayes. I'm going to treat this like his rookie season, given how much his rookie season was torpedoed by that crazy injury. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to just try to give him a lot of grace because he's still one of the youngest players in the NBA, even though it's technically his second season. Um, but, but having said that, like if we look just at his performance, it's been really, really bad. Um, I, I think, you know, his game also suffers when there's not a lot of movement happening, in my opinion, because I think the thing he's so good at is recognizing the tiniest of passing lanes and finding a way to thread the needle. And when everyone's just standing around and, you know, he's just dribbling the ball and everyone's standing, that doesn't give him much opportunity to do what he's good at either. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Killian has not been good. There's absolutely no way around it. But, you know, there's a lot of fans saying, I'll send him to the G League, bench him, whatever. I mean, we need to pump the pump the brakes a little bit, right? Because I think that could potentially be devastating to his confidence. And, uh, you know, I think Casey has a, a tough line to walk here. He's got to find the right balance between holding a player accountable for not performing up to expectations while also managing to not hurt his confidence. And to me, it looks like, you know, he does look like he's not, doesn't have a lot of confidence himself right now. So he, the coach has got to really earn his money here and, and figure out how do we continue to get Killian minutes while holding him accountable if he's not playing well and find a way to, to get his confidence up. Right. So uh, yeah, Killian Hayes, not, not playing well, not the, not the start to the season that anyone wanted, of course, not the one he'd wanted for himself, but you know, to fellow fans, let's be patient. Let's remember that this kid is still crazy young, uh, still has a, a tremendous amount of skill, especially defensively. I mean, there's just lots to like about him, um, even if he's not offensively where we want him to be yet. And look, clearly he's not. He's, he's still way behind there. No, absolutely. The The first game, he didn't score a point in the first game, but like you mentioned, I weirdly felt better about the way he played in the first game because um like one of the big criticisms we had about him last year was that he wasn't getting all the way to the rim and we saw him manage to do that a couple times in the first game of course he couldn't convert on those shots once he got there but the the simple fact of like him taking the extra dribble um was like that was that was good to see you know that wasn't permanent that didn't happen all the time but again like this is a long season um, and this is a short sample so we are just looking for uh you know observable demonstrable things that uh he's trying to do that he was not trying to do last season um but la- but the the second game definitely felt more like a game from last season where uh he did not look like he didn't look nearly as aggressive in in the second game. I know he hit the floater. If it was nice to like, if if he had gone two games without scoring, I think people would be even more furious than they already are. Um, he made a couple nice assists in in the second game as well. Um, he had a nice transition uh, opportunity to Frank Jackson for a corner three. Um, I think I'm going to bang my drum again. I think getting out in transition would be a really good thing for the team and for Killian in particular. Um, transitions. Uh, part of the game in which the things that make him special um, are really activated. And so I think that that could be, that could be one way to uh, get his confidence up is for them to run a little bit more. Um, But yeah, this has been uh, not the season that, or not the start to the season that, uh, that he obviously wanted. But um, I think it, it's, it is too early to bench him. Right. And 
it's also notable, I think, that like Corey Joseph is not having an amazing start to the year as well. Um, if if you know Corey Joseph were lighting the world on fire, or Saban Lee like really impressed me in his ten minutes uh, that he managed to get in the second game, then like I could understand things a little bit more. But um, it it really seems like the the point guards as a whole are struggling with the newfound importance on um, like getting Sadiq Bay and Jeremy Grant their touches. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's hard to, to do. The, the Pistons are still dealing with that transition, right? Killian's still dealing with it. Uh, Corey Joseph's still dealing with it. And, you know, Saban was essentially playing in garbage time, but like still doing a lot of the same things that Corey and Killian were doing. And so like, that's, you know, that's coaching. That's not necessarily like any, um, you know, aggressiveness on uh, Corey or Killian's part. Um, one thing, one more thing about Killian, I wanted to ask you, Ben. Did you get you got the uh, the Detroit feed, right? Yep. So um, I saw like some mention that after Killian like didn't make any attempt to stop Demar Derozan in transition that one time, that Casey was like furious with him and like he immediately sat after that, but like it was his time to uh, sit after that anyway. Did you see anything like that? Was that uh, the subject of anything on the Detroit broadcast? I had the Chicago broadcast, so I didn't hmm. get any of that. I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall discussing. I'm not. That's not to say that there wasn't any, but I don't recall any. Um, in fairness, I was watching this game with my daughter, and so I, <laughs> my my just about five year old asked me about a hundred questions a minute while we're watching sports. <laughs> so it could be that I was talking over the commentary from George and Greg, but I don't recall it. Um, I, I don't recall it being a subject question. I do, I do remember Casey getting upset and that's not something you see a ton of. So yeah. that's interesting. Um, you know, but having said that, you know, Killian, th- what we know about him so far in Detroit is that defense is where he sort of makes his living so far. Right. So, yeah, I mean, to see a lapse like that was unexpected. Um, so yeah, it definitely, definitely did notice coach Casey get a little bit ticked off about that. Yeah. That's to me, that was a weird thing to get mad about uh just because like uh it's demar Derozan. i believe killian already had two fouls like that's it's not that's not the it's a you know it's a two-on-one fast break that's not the time uh to try and like uh be a hero i guess but uh Dwayne thought otherwise so it is what it is um i will be curious to see that now that they are not playing to or you know the defensive guards uh matchups get a little bit easier over the course of the next couple of games uh, now that Killian won't be up against like Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso like will he be better like maybe but uh like you know that's that's uh that's tenuous so I'll, I'll you know I'm not gonna say that like he's gonna average 15 now that Lonzo's not locking him up like that's not how that works so uh so yeah but yeah frustrated with uh with Killian's play just like everybody else just like I'm sure he is but uh it's way too early only two games in um, ben said his horizon for Killian was the next 40 games, which sounds about right. Um, all right. Now, now comes the pod, the part of the podcast. I was really dreading. If you, if you thought that I was dreading talking about how bad Killian was playing, like this is the part of the podcast <laughs> I've been really dreading. Trey Lyles has been pretty good. I said, he sucked. He does not suck. I'm sorry, Trey Lyles. You've been pretty good this season. Uh, he played hard the entire fourth quarter, gave him a real shot in the arm in the second game. Shot three of five from three, continued to look good from the perimeter. 
um, like he did in preseason. One of the few bright spots from the perimeter uh, for the Pistons this season, like we talked about, they're 11 of 56, and Trey Lyles has like four of those 11, which is a terrifying prospect. But yeah, Trey Lyles doesn't suck, so I'd like to issue a formal apology. Ben, you were right. Perhaps I shouldn't have been so hard on Trey Lyles. <laughs> well, he can shoot, and boy, has the second unit, well, the whole team's unit, but the second unit's benefit in particular. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, last night's game, I think they went on like a 15 to 17 to nothing run, and they were still down by like 14 points after that. Yeah, isn't that great? Like that. <laughs> it was kind of like Chicago just decided to, to take a little time off. But yeah, Trey Lyles, I mean... He seems to be a guy who understands what his tool set is. He embraces the role that he's been given and doesn't try to, to overdo it. And I, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Um, but yeah, shooting the ball very, very well. Um, and yeah, Les, I mean, every time he shoots, I think of you. So just, just so you know that. It's <laughs> uh, just like, you know. Uh, point he's pointing at me all the way in North Carolina every time he makes <laughs> yeah. a three. No, I'm 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 happy Trey Lyles doesn't suck because uh, him not sucking is making for a more uh, enjoyable Pistons experience um, on the margins, which is good, which is good. Uh, defense, Ben. I looked up the numbers this morning. The Pistons are the seventh best uh, defensive team in the league per uh, by defensive rating, so they got that going for them, which is nice. They've held the Chicago Bulls under 100 points in two consecutive games. Uh, they forced 29 turnovers. They've committed 36, but they forced 29 turnovers in these two games. Um, the defense is, in fact, ahead of the offense. Do you think the defense gets better? Or do you think the defense – sorry. Do you think the defense gets worse before the offense gets better? You know, I, I don't – they're not the seventh-best team in the NBA defensively, right? <laughs> yeah, probably We not, know yeah. that's true. Um, having said that, what they've done is not nothing, right? Like they've done things that are repeatable. So, you know, I, I continue to think that Dwayne Casey is a, is a very good defensive coach. Um, he has gotten more than the sum of his parts every single season. He's been in Detroit defensively. He's going to get that again this season. It looks like certainly we're going to see a regression. Um, but look what they've done, I think, especially in terms of just, disrupting passing lanes, using their length to muck things up and make it ugly. Um, I think Rip Hamilton actually broadcast of game one uh, talked about that, right? Like he talked about, he used the phrase mucking the game up to sort of keep the game competitive and close. And I think particularly that second unit, you get Diallo and Jackson out there, you've got all sorts of length and defensive intensity. And that clearly gave the bulls a lot of trouble. Um, having said that, I you know, I, I do sort of expect the offense to to get a shot in the arm pretty quickly because eventually those shots are going to go in, and when those shots go in, that's going to make that offensive rating jump up in a hurry. There's too many truly good shooters on the roster for them to continue to be this bad offensively. And look, you know, had they just made a couple of threes in the season opener, they they would have won the game, right? So we'd be looking about we'd be talking about a one and one team rather than a than an 0-2 team. So I expect the offense to perk up a little bit and, uh, you know, they'll have some defensive lapses. Um, you know, Chicago, you know, as when we talked last week, I was, I asked you, was Chicago going to be good? Um, you know, they're, they're interesting. They're not the best offensive team in the NBA. That probably helps a little bit because we've played them twice and that defensive rating is up there in the, the top 10. So yeah, defense is going to regress and some shots are going to go in and we won't see such a crazy disparity. Cause I think depending on where you look, like I had basketball reference up earlier, 
Pistons were 30th out of 30 in <laughs> offensive rating. So uh, we're going to see the pendulum swing the other way before too long, I think. That's fair. I, you can't get any worse than 30th out of 30. Right. So there is that. No place to go but up. Um, I'm glad you brought up the, the Hamadou Diallo-Josh Jackson pairing. Hamadou did a really good job on DeMar DeRozan mm-hmm. in the first game, and I've been really impressed with his engagement on that end def- on the on the defensive end in these first two games. And so, you know, props to Hami for for that. Um, I do think that will be a, a strength of that bench is if they can turn defense into offense. That will be that'll be huge for them. Um, yeah, I I think this team is definitely not like the seventh best defensive team in the league. Um, but I, but if if we get this level of engagement from guys like Hamadou and you know we talked about Jeremy Grant's level of engagement a little bit earlier, um, we, we you know uh, we talked about Isaiah Stewart's post defense against Vucevic and how uh, he's doing a good job in that department. I don't see a reason why they were what nineteenth in defensive rating last year. I don't think why they shouldn't be another uh, a top twenty defense again, right? Like nothing. The, nothing about the way that they've played defense so far gives me any thing to think about that they are like a you know a, a bottom third defense in the league. Um, you know the the level of offensive skill is is t- is tricky, but like defensively they've got you know some pretty good personnel and uh, have been playing with mostly like a lot of effort on that end. And so uh, I see no reason why they couldn't be like a, a top twenty defense uh, when the whole when the like the dust settles. But like seventh or tenth, that's uh, that's a little bit aggressive. I probably can't uh, be greedy and ask for that. So here's the thing, Laz. If they can continue to to do well as a team, defensive rebounding wise, like Sadiq stepping up, Killian I think rebounded well. Cade will rebound well from the perimeter, and Jeremy Grant continues. He's never going to be a great rebounder, but if he continues to be very disruptive defensively, like I would not be shocked if they finished like middle of the league. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me. More likely, they're probably closer to twentieth than they are fifteenth. But look, I think if they can gang rebound, then I actually think they can be pretty solid defensively. I agree. I agree. All right, Ben. The schedule. For the first time uh, and since we started doing this podcast again, uh, the Pistons play Atlanta on Monday. They play in Atlanta on Monday. They play uh, at Philadelphia on Thursday. So that's a nice little couple-day gap between those two games. Um, they have Orlando. That's hopefully uh, at home. They have uh, Hopefully that's Cade's debut on Saturday. And then they have a back-to-back against the Brooklyn Nets on Sunday. If you... I guess if, if there's any time to play the Brooklyn Nets, if you're the Pistons, it's going to be on a back-to-back. Just you, you weren't going to win that game anyway. It's nice to you know chalk that one up. Uh, how many competitive games do the Pistons play this week? And we're going to I'm going to say how many games are like within seven points. Oof. Um, okay, so uh, Orlando's obviously the one to tar- target. Orlando's mm-hmm. a rebuilding team. Uh, Cade is hopefully making his debut and we're at home. So let's target that one as a close one and, and hopefully a win. Um, Atlanta, I'm not sure how I feel about Atlanta yet. However, um, you know, Trey Young has all the tools to make life extraordinarily difficult. So that one I think is probably a, a challenging game. You mentioned Brooklyn, you know, no more needs to be said. Uh, in Philadelphia, I think, you know, in spite of the drama that's happening there, Again, they've got some some difficult matchups. I think for Detroit, and I, I don't like the I don't like that one either. So, yeah. I'm really hoping, Laz, that we pull out that Orlando game because I I just don't like the other three that are on the schedule this week. 
Yeah, I have not looked at the schedule beyond this week. But <laughs> if uh, if they don't win their Orlando game, it could get messy. Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty quickly maybe. Um, I would be tempted to say Philadelphia because I don't really I don't really trust their their offense, and so I think that could be another you know another game like the first where it's just like a slugfest that they uh, win that the the Sixers end up winning because they have more talent. But uh, when I think about you know Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olynyk trying to guard Joel Embiid, that doesn't that doesn't make me very happy. Yeah. So the thing is, like, you get Isaiah Stewart in early foul trouble, and yeah. Embiid is just going to feast. That's the thing that concerns me. And you know, Tobias, I don't love Tobias as a matchup for the Pistons. He, I feel like his movement off the ball is challenging. But yeah, that that's possible as well. No, definitely. So yeah, we're we're circling our October thirtieth. Uh, hopefully, that's uh, Cade's debut. First win of the season, uh, definitely going to be up for that one and uh, making sure that the kids don't uh, interrupt us too much on uh, <laughs> on a Saturday night. Ben, this has been, despite the ugly, ugly basketball that we've seen over the last week, this has been a fun podcast. Uh, let the people know where they can find you and uh, what where they can find what you've been working on this season. Yeah, at BR Golker on Twitter. Um, hey, it's it's a long process, Laz. You said it correctly. I think the first two games were probably a little bit of a crash to reality. I think there was some optimism in the fan base that this team would be better than expected. Look, two games doesn't make or break anything, but look, this is still this is still a long process. So we gotta we gotta have our minds calibrated appropriately. So we can do that on Twitter. Always join us in the comments, especially uh, for the podcast post on DetroitBadBoys.com. Oh wait. Ben, yeah, it's uh, Michigan, Michigan State week. It is Michigan, Michigan State week. It sure is. Yeah, that's the that's the same day as uh, the Magic game. Um, you know, hopefully both of us are, are happy at the end of the day. But uh... <laughs> well, the only way for that to happen is like you know another nine overtime draw, like we saw with uh, Penn State. No, I have every I have every confidence that Michigan is going to choke. I just I would like to see one win against State or Ohio State. One of those two. Just get one of two. That's all I need. So I I found myself watching the Northwestern game to like quote unquote scout, and uh, all I came away thinking is that like, yeah Northwestern's not very good, and so, <laughs> and so I don't I don't know how the game is going to go. Um, but I'm just glad that there are legitimate stakes in this contest for the yeah, first time in what first seems like time a in years. a very long time, right? I mean, look, if you're playing against Michigan, you have to make them throw. I mean, that that's all there is to it. You And it's not just make them throw, but make them throw deep. Just just crowd everything, and I think you make their life very difficult. Yeah, and, you know, Michigan State's been really dependent on big plays. I, I do kind of wonder if you, you know, play deep and you force, uh, you, you force Thorne to take what's in front of him. I wonder if he can do that for an entire game. But, uh, yeah, we're just we're going to have to end up seeing on Saturday. I didn't even think about that until, like, just now. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, I've been oh. grateful for uh, Michigan football being unexpectedly good this season. I, I really did not have high expectations, especially when they lost uh, Ronnie Bell. You didn't have high expectations. True. Yeah, neither did Michigan <laughs> I thought, State. I thought right? we were like, going to win six games. Right, like. yeah, and you've got two top, ten, two top ten teams. So it's been a lot of fun for any Michigan or a Michigan State football fan this year. No, absolutely. Uh, and if you want to, if you want to witness me freak out over the Michigan Michigan State game, you can do that on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Thank you for listening. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.